Good morning. Grace and peace to you. The joy of the Lord be your strength. Isn't it wonderful that He is always there? Always. His promises are true, and He never goes back on His word. We want to talk about that this morning. Uh, again, encouragement to the brothers to stay afterward. I promise we won't be here long unless it's your fault. And you talk a lot. Okay? Now, that might be a good thing. But I do encourage you to stay for our little meeting. Let's go to Mark 10. We're talking about things that, even with God, are not possible. And uh, we're going to start with this story, at least part of this story, where it says, in fact, Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Uh, let's read 23 to 27 here. This is about, the, you know, the rich young ruler came to the Lord and says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And he says, keep the commandments. He says, I've kept those. And he says, well, you've got to sell everything, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And then he went away because he wasn't willing to do that. So it says, and Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So obviously the disciples here are thinking, even themselves, that riches have something to do with getting into the kingdom, and they were wrong about that, and we know that that's not the case. And Jesus affirms quite the opposite. It's very difficult for those who are rich to enter the kingdom because the riches tend to become the idol and the God of the rich. And they think that that is why they are who they are, and they tend to look to their riches and money to sustain them in life. And uh, this is why, Je this is obviously what Jesus saw in this rich young man. He said, you've got to get rid of that because that's what you really love, and that's what you're trusting in. But then he says, you know, but with God, you know, it, it, is, it is possible. Because with God, all things are possible. And uh, so there we have that, and we, you know, we need to understand that's true. With God, all things are possible. But we have to keep it in context. Okay, what are we talking about? People have tried to undermine the scriptures and discredit God by use taking this verse, in, again, out of context and saying, well, look, that's not true. Because they try to come up with such things as, can God make a boulder or a mountain that's too big for him to lift? You know, these kinds of things. Can God create a riddle that he cannot solve? So... You know, you start thinking this way, and you say, well, that's not what this is about, is it? You know, obviously, this is not, not the case. 
So you have to keep in context what Jesus is talking about as far as with God things are, all things are possible uh, within his word and within the guidelines of the things that he has taught. Um, Hebrews 6.18, I don't have that there on your little slip of paper, but it says there that uh, it is impossible for God to lie. Okay? It's impossible for God to lie. So there is something that just right on the other hand there contradicts. With God all things are possible, but with, it is not possible for God to lie. So again, we have to keep that with God all things are possible in mind as far as what other things has God taught. So that's what we want to kind of deal with this morning. Uh, and some of these passages that we read about in Scripture where Jesus says, unless. Where Jesus says, except. Or where Jesus says, cannot. And words to that effect. Because what we've seen, you know, God cannot lie. What he has put down in his word, that's the truth, right? And so God is not going to go back on his word that he has given, right? Now, when I say that, we have to understand that God knows all things. And uh, he will always do what's right. Abraham argued with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. Will not the God, you know, of all creation do what's right when it came to destroying them? And say, so, yeah, he's just. He understands everything, all right? And there are things that we don't know about. But I think sometimes we try to deal in the what-ifs too much, okay? Well, what if this, and what if that, and what if that? Well, you know, all those what-ifs belong to God. They belong to him. We're not in the business of what-ifs. We are in the business of teaching the word of God as it is written. These are the things he has given us to teach. If God, because he knows circumstances and things that we don't know, the secret things belong to God, praise him, he'll make his own decisions about a person or about a situation. But that's not ours to do. And so that's how we present this lesson today. And let's go to Luke 16 then. So it's important for us to understand that God has set up life, set up our response to him and our response to life to be in a certain way. He's made us a certain way, okay? And this is what, this is what we're talking about here. The first point, it's not possible for one person to serve two masters. Luke 16.10, following on the parable of the unrighteous steward. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? You know, here he's talking about a heart that is, is faithful or it's not faithful. And he's saying a, a true heart that's faithful will be faithful whether you give him 10 cents to take care of or $10 million to take care of. That person will do that. They will take care of whatever it is. 
And then he goes on to say in the 13th verse, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And, uh, you know, so many folks try to do this, I think. And so many folks are doing this, and they don't realize they're doing it. They're really dividing their allegiance between God and something else. You know, the, the world competes for our love. The world wants us to serve it. There are so many things that compete for our love and want us to serve them, to serve it. Uh, we already mentioned the money thing, the career and the job. Some people bow down to their career. Everything, the career has to be first. And God has just fit into their life. Uh, family. Family can become an idol. Family can become something that you put before God. It's, it can happen. And I've seen it happen. Uh, fun and entertainment we've talked about. Even religion. Religion. You might say, well, wait a minute now. That didn't God want us to follow him? Yeah, but what kind of religion are you following? Are you one who is trying to earn your way to heaven to keep all the rules that you see that you ought to keep to be better than somebody else? You know, that can, that can actually come before you and your love for God. So all these things, other things can compete, and there's a clash and there's a conflict here in our hearts. And we've all felt this, what will I do, where will I go, what, what is the choice I should make? Is it for God, or is it for this, or for that? Whom do you serve? And, you know, this is about the ultimate question of who is my master, and what am I doing with my life, with my resources, with the skills and abilities he has given me, are you, am I using them for his glory? Or am I just using them for my own self, for my own fame, or just to fulfill my own pleasures and lust? You know, an impossible prayer for God to answer would be, Lord, help me serve two masters. That just doesn't work. Jesus says it doesn't work. One of them will always lose out. One of them is always chosen above the other one. It cannot be 50-50. It's impossible. That's what he's saying here. So Jesus calls for our... He wants us to be Lord. Or he wants us to have him as our Lord. Jesus must be Lord, Lord of everything, Lord all the time. When we give him our undivided allegiance, accept him fully as Lord, then we receive the blessings and we receive the joy that he wants us to have. But when we hold back and we are divided in our hearts, we can't receive that. We're broken people. So, if we come to God, do we, 
and we have divided allegiance, do you think he will accept us? Will it be possible for God to accept us? If we are trying to serve part of the world and trying to serve this and trying to serve that and just fit God in, you can answer that question. Our second thought. Let's go to John 8. This is about salvation. These next three verses are about salvation. When salvation's in view, some things are just not possible. God has established a way for people to be saved, to be accomplished in a certain way. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. And if it's not through Jesus and the way he's, he prescribes and the way he says, then salvation is not going to be accomplished. Listen, listen to these words, John 8, 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you do that. So would it be possible for God to save someone who has heard the gospel and does not believe that Jesus is the Christ? You can answer that question. The I am here probably goes back to I am who I am in Exodus 3.14 when Moses was before the burning bush and he asked, who, who are you, God? I am who I am. Because in the uh, text here, the he, if you have a, a good, uh, good written Bible here, is in italics. That means it's supplied by the publisher or the editor. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am God. That's the point. Peter in Acts 4.12, we just studied through this a couple weeks ago. He says, there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. This is the way God has given to mankind today to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. We had the reading, Bill's reading this morning. I, if I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. That's about the cross. That's the whole point. This is the God's grace and God's mercy through his son, Jesus. So we ask the question, if a person is claiming salvation, but they're not believing in Jesus of Nazareth as Savior and Lord, is it possible for God to save them? They're believing in some other God. You, you answer the question. These, you know, th this is hard for us to grasp sometimes. But what would it do? What would it be? You know, God sent his son. We, we, we sing about it. He loves us. He gave his own son. You know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Don mentioned in his prayer. And he watched him die. It was dark. The sun was obscured or didn't shine, however you 
interpret that verse. This is God's grief. And he just ignores that with this person and says, oh, you don't have to believe in my son, I'll save you anyway. What's that do to the name of Jesus? What's it do to the name of Christ? Oh, whatever he did over here doesn't matter. I'll save you anyway. Just think about it. All right, Luke 13. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Without repentance, it's impossible to be saved. Luke 13.1, now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? We don't have a lot of details on this. Something happened there with some of these Galileans offering some sacrifices somewhere and evidently for some reason, Pilate also killed them, and it looks like he must have put their blood on the altar with the animals. That's what it looks like. He just totally desecrated the whole situation. In verse 3, then Jesus said, I tell you, no. Okay, they weren't greater sinners than you who I'm talking with. But unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 men on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We've touched on repentance before. It means to change one's mind with the intent to change one's life and lifestyle and way of living. And in this case, what we're talking about here is be we repent, we turn from the world and turn to Christ, and as we just talked about, to accept him as our Lord and as our Savior and him only. With genuine repentance, things change. Things change. Lives change. Ways of thinking change. Ways of approaching life changes. Ways of seeing life changes. Ways of doing things changes. What you do with your money changes. What you do with your abilities changes. What you do with your time changes. Everything changes to fit into line with the teaching of Christ and your love for him. How much do you love him? How much do you love him? This is one thing that I have started to say to folks, as we would call them wandering sheep, gone astray. And we often say, do you still believe in Jesus? You know, trying to get them to come back. But to me, that's not the right thing to say. Because I think deep down they still believe. But here's the thing to say. Do you still love Jesus? Do you still love him with all your heart? That's the question. That's the question. So if a person claims salvation, but their life shows no change, they keep living the way they want to do and forgetting the Lord and pursuing things of the world, 
You think it's possible for God to save them? Unless you repent. All right. John chapter 3. Without being born again, not possible to be saved. John 3, 1. Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Nicodemus is right on. <laughs> He's right on. Seeing all these wonderful miracles and signs of people healing, he says, that's got to be from God. And then, amen, it was. And Nicodemus is just being honest. He's got an honest heart. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, notice the unless, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Two words, unless and cannot. There it is. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born. Now he's being honest again. He says, I don't understand this. How's that possible? And, of course, Jesus is not talking about a physical birth, but a spiritual birth, a, a birth again, a different kind of birth, born from above. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless... One is born of water and the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And as Mike mentioned in the announcements and Don prayed, praise the Lord, Hank, Brother Hank was baptized last week. He was born again. He was born again. Immersed into Christ, received the gift of the Spirit, Acts 2.38. To be born again, one must clearly die. Agreed? And that's what happens when a person is baptized. They die with Christ. Romans 6, 1 to 7. I usually use this in a baptismal situation. I recount this. We die with Christ in the waters of baptism. We were raised a new creature, a new creation. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I live, but nevertheless not I, but Christ lives in me now through the Spirit of God. Born a new creature. Starting life again. And that's what it means in uh, verse 3 there. The born again can mean born from above, but it's the same idea because it's born from the Spirit of God and through the Word of God and by Christ and by obeying the gospel. So sin is removed, the Spirit comes, and we become renewed, a babe in Christ. Such a glorious event. So if someone says they are saved, even if they've heard the gospel, and they just said, I believed, I, I, I said a little prayer and invited Jesus into my heart, and they've not been born again by water and the Spirit, is it possible for God to save them? These are serious words. And I think sometimes, like I said, we just back off a little bit 
And we say, oh, well, you know, God can do what God will do. Yes, he can, but he has also given us the truth to teach, and he has established certain ways for things to happen. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty stout, pretty straightforward. This is what we've got to pray. This, this brings honor to Christ Jesus, you see. It all goes back to Jesus. It's about him and his giving his life for us. And all this honors him, believing in him, serving him as Lord, repenting and turning to him, being baptized into the name of Christ Jesus and serving him. It's all about him. And when he's not in the equation, he is not honored and his power is not present. That's why it's not possible. Okay. Matthew 6. It is not possible for a person to be, get, to be forgiven if they don't forgive others. Matthew 6, 14. Following on as we call it the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, the example we've been given. For if you forgive others for your transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. It's said other places. I, I can't say it any other way. Neither can you. How many of us can still hold grudges, still bitter towards certain people, and don't take this seriously? a serious scripture. There are uh, great blessings in seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness. There is so much peace that comes when that relationship has been cleared of that offense or offenses, whatever they are. Now, you know, you might not still have a great, uh, great friendship or whatever, and that's understandable. But the air is cleared, and there's forgiveness sought and given, and you can move on. But as long as something exists between two people, that relationship can never be what it should be. Never. There's, there's always that stone there, that fence, that boulder, that whatever it is that's simmering in the pot. It's always there. And you know what? It's going to rear its ugly head at some point, and it's going to cause problems again. Yes, it will. It's just wisdom God gives us, you know. You know, he talks in, you know, Matthew uh, in a couple places about if you remember if somebody's got something against you, go work it out. And if you see somebody sinning, go talk to them. Work it out. Take care of it. 
as long as these things exist, it also hurts us in our service to the Lord. It does. Because it, it's like a burden that we bear. It, it might be deep inside, but it's a burden we have, and we carry it. And we need to be free of those. So, rather plain, is it possible for God to forgive a person who is unforgiving? Filled with hatred and bitterness towards somebody, can't wait to get even, won't speak to somebody? What's the scripture say? We have to take God at his word. By God's grace, he has set certain things in place. He's told us to do things certain ways. It's for his glory, for the glory of his son, and it's for our good. As we said, it all, it, it gets back to Jesus. All these things. Is he going to be glorified or not? You know, with God, all things are possible. But with God... Some things are not possible. And as we have said before, you just have to wrestle with that, don't you? You just have to understand what he means. The context of some of these verses. But this morning, it is possible for you to be saved. If you're not already in Christ. It is possible. God has made it possible. He's made a way. And you know... When God has made a way, why do we always look for another way? You know? He's, by his grace and mercy and love, he's given us a way. He's given us blessing. He's told us what to do. Why do we always seek another way? That's the sin in us, you see. That's our own selfishness and pride. We just have to humble ourselves and accept God's way. And the way is to believe, as we saw, I, that I am he, that I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. Repent. Turn from the world and be born again. And that can happen for you this morning. And we encourage you this morning if you've never done that. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with any of these things, wow, it's time to repent. It's time to see things differently. If you're holding bitterness in your heart towards someone, uh, maybe he wants to pray about it, but you need to uh, go this afternoon, make a phone call or a visit and say, well, we need to work this out. Do what you need to do. However we can help you today, whether it's by prayer or being baptized into Christ, please let us know. Our brother Jim leads us.